Welcome to the sixth episode of Resuscitating the Business of Humanity. The title of this talk is Unmaking Your Beliefs. The date is March 30th, 2020. The location is Des Moines, Iowa, and I am Gary William Bear. To start, I would like you to know that this episode will constitute a turning point in what can be shared in subsequent ones. In earlier episodes, I spoke with you to establish a framework and a type of vocabulary to assist you in noticing what was naturally occurring in the moments of your life, in your thinking, feeling, sensing, and believing. It was important to establish this framework because the process of freeing one's will is not an easy one due to the simple fact that the way you think, feel, sense, and believe is particular to you. And now I am suggesting that you do something different than what you have done before, than what has become normal to you. For if you continue to do what you have always done, you will always arrive at the same outcome, which is the place where you currently stand, so to say, because there can be no change if you don't change something. The truth of this is why it has been said that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting a different outcome is the definition of insanity. You have to do something different if you want a different outcome. And if you want to free your will, you must do something that you haven't done. But what? What do you do? That is the question. Also, much that has occurred in your personal life and in the lives of others and in the history of our planet has served to obscure and occlude and make difficult the path to free will. And while many nations quote, hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, such declarations of freedom should not be construed to mean that it has been realized, as it yet remains the unrealized truth for most of humanity. In fact, I would have you know that the entire arc of human history, wherever you start, whether with the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Industrial Age, or the Information Age, or whether investigating the history of India, China, Africa, Japan, the Middle East, South America, Australia, or the indigenous people around the world, wherever and whatever history you investigate, all of the events that play out which we call history, are accounts of individuals and groups and nations seeking their path to free will without being conscious that this was what they were seeking. Clearly, it is implicit in our understanding that each in their own way was seeking freedoms of speech, of religion, of governance, of taxation, of debt, and many others as there are many freedoms worth pursuing. But the goal of all freedom is to free the human will. 
when all we hear in our historical accounts in reference to the will is that he or she is strong-willed or one must make an act of will or that another is willful. But more specifically, the consideration of free will is the ability to choose between different possible courses of actions unimpeded. Free will is therefore linked to the concepts of morality, responsibility, praise, guilt, sin, and other judgments that apply only to actions that are freely chosen, which presupposes there is a state where the will is free. But in being unconscious or unaware that the will is not free, that it is impeded being bound by your emotion quotient, the underlying goal of human endeavor, the intrinsic business of humanity, is being overlooked by the historian's accounting when presenting as history the interactions between different groups, ideologies, religions, philosophies, in different locations in different times. And this interaction is always presented as one group or interest persevering or prevailing over another, as a war between this is right and that is wrong, the powerful over the weak, wealthy over the poor, that there is this polarity which describes the two sides to the conflict. Today it continues in many areas as men versus women, black versus white, Wall Street versus Main Street, Republicans versus Democrats, bankers versus debtor, this country versus that country. There's always an us and a them. And this practice of us and them, or me and you, hides the fact that there's something else hidden behind the polarization of thinking about which no one really talks about. One of the people that did talk about it was Albert Einstein. Now, in stating this, I'm not professing to be an expert on Albert Einstein. In fact, there are really only two or three things that I know he talked about. The first was his equation about the relationship of matter and energy, which is E equals MC squared, which is energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. The second was his statement that doing the same activity over and over again while expecting a different outcome was the definition of insanity. The third was his statement that the problems that face mankind will not be solved by the level of thinking that created them. Of these three, the one that's most important now for the purposes of this episode is the problems of mankind will not be solved by the level of thinking that created them. I bring this up because, while I don't have a way of knowing this for certain, it is my supposition, and it is certainly my contention, that the level of thinking he was referring to is one that sees things in polarity or duality, where there is this tendency to see only two points of view, this or that, us or them, my way or the highway, when the fact of the matter is that we do not exist in a two-dimensional reality. We exist in a three-dimensional reality, which begs the question, what is the third point? 
To answer this, you will need to reflect on the fact that your reality is three-dimensional, for the simple fact that it, all of it, is governed by a singular principle of nature that is responsible for everything that exists, that time and space and sound and light and energy and matter are all governed by the same principle. Moreover, the principle will always be found expressing through a self-replicating, three-pronged structure at every level of life, even though you may give it a different name, depending upon the level from which you view it. But regardless of the name given, it is the same principle of nature, having three aspects, where the relationship between the three remains a constant, always playing out the same relationship, but at different levels of life. The principle is responsible for time having a past, a present, and the future. And for the structure of physical matter, let's say we're talking about matter at the level of the atom. It is composed of protons, neutrons, and electrons. And when we observe any element of matter, we find solid, liquid, and gaseous states of those elements of matter. Even when we consider the structure of our planet, it is divided into land, water, and atmosphere, as in solids, liquids, and gases. The same is true with space. There is a here where I am, there is a there where you are, and then there is everywhere else like that. And you can do this analysis endlessly. There exists this principle that expresses itself as a trying structure of equal values in all the layers and levels that make up the relationships that are operating in your world. And yet we act, we conduct ourselves, as if this were not so, especially in our thinking, feeling, and sensing. And so, it is my contention that when Albert Einstein stated that the problems of the world will not be solved by the level of thinking that created them, he was making three points. The first point is that the problems of the world are the result of a level of thinking that breeds polarization, breeds this tendency to polarize, to see only two points of view, and is therefore unable to find solutions. The second point is that the problems of the world will only be solved by changing our level of thinking, which means we need to elevate or raise the level, the perspective, from which we see the world to find the solutions we are seeking. The third point is that Elevating our level of thinking requires a third point of view to include in our practice of thinking. The two that we have aren't enough. We need this third one, which will allow humanity to see and implement solutions. Now, given the pre-existent operation of this principle that is literally everywhere, you elevate your thinking by including the third position, the third point of view. You align your activity of humanity with the principle governing all life such that the solutions you seek finally come into view. To continue this line of reasoning, you may have noticed that during previous episodes, I have made reference to the thoughts you think, the emotions you feel, and the sensations you experienced. I've talked about your mental, emotional, and physical body, 
I've said that the activity of your will is to either accept or deny or ignore. In speaking to you in this way, I was preparing to talk about the existence of this natural principle, which is responsible for the governance of what we experience as our human nature, what we observe as mother nature, and what we apprehend as divine nature. For even in your considerations of divine nature, or if you study spirituality or religion or any of the isms like Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, you learn that they all refer to a natural principle of causation that is responsible for everything that comes into existence, responsible for everything sustained in that existence, and responsible for everything destroyed or transformed to take on a different form at the end of that existence. And when those systems talk about the divine nature, they describe eternal relationships as trying structures, as creator, maintainer, destroyer, or father, son, holy ghost, or love, wisdom, will. For this reason, you should not be surprised to recognize the principle operating in every other relationship between man, woman, child, or knower, known process of knowing, or the thoughts you think, emotions you feel, or the sensations you experience. The triune structure of equal values is natural to all life and, as such, operates as a self-replicating fractal from which all forms emerge, exist, and in which they have their being. Even geometry, a branch of mathematics concerned with the relationships of planes, points, and lines, operates outside of you in the same manner as your present moment thoughts and emotions operate within you. If you remember your high school geometry, there are three axioms or pre-existing attributes. There is the plane, point, and line. The plane is the place that exists as a constant, a pre-existing condition to every possible relationship that may be described within it. The point is a location or coordinate within the plane, and the line is a series of points that describe the relationship that connects one point with any other. Like that, your present moment is the place that exists as a constant, a pre-existing condition to every possible relationship that may be experienced within it. Your thought is a location or coordinate within that moment. Your emotion is the sequence of points that make up the line that connects one or more thought to any other thereby establishing the relationship between one thought and any other. And, just as the plane point and line in geometry are used to establish theorems as working hypotheses in search of truth, the present moment thought and emotion are used to establish beliefs as your working hypotheses in search of your truth. In this way, the plane, the point, and line give form to the world of geometry from which every possible shape may be constructed in exactly the same manner as moment, thought, and emotion give form to your world from which every possible belief may be constructed. In government, we see this triune structure expressed as the judicial, legislative, and executive branches. And guess what? The relationships between the three aspects of the triune principle is always the same, regardless of the system or level from which it is viewed. But 
You need the third point of view to clearly see the relationships at work. So the thought I had, actually, which I first had about 13 years ago, was to ask what it would be like if you and I and everyone else employed this principle, added that third point of view to everything we did, to our interactions as individuals, as members of society, or as participants in business. You see, I did that again. I've described the three states of humanity. We can exist as individuals, we can exist as members of a community or society, or we can exist as participants in business. The reason why I'm making the statement is that it only makes sense to align the activity of life with that which already governs all life, for doing so holds the key to you and I and everyone else becoming aligned with our human nature which in being natural to us, aligns with Mother Nature, which aligns us with the Divine Nature. Now, if you don't think there's a Divine Nature, or you're an atheist, or an existentialist, or hold some other belief, it really doesn't matter. Wherever you stand to view your world, you will notice this principle operating. It is ever self-organizing, self-assessing, and self-correcting. I think if you take a look at this, you will find that it is our unawareness of this, dare I say, our ignorance of this natural principle, that is the root of our problems, the ones we create, which cannot be solved on the level of the thinking that created them. In personal life, that level of thinking causes you to confuse your beliefs for truths and effects for causes. Your practice of doing that again and again and again causes dissonance and discord and dis-ease in your system as your emotional tone and your emotion quotient continues to build and charge and build and charge until a moment in time comes that in seeking its moment of discharge to release, there is a breakdown in your mental, emotional, and physical body in its ability to hold the charge any longer. The reason for the discordant tone seeking its moment of release is that in being subject to the natural principle of natural law, it in itself is not natural to us. It's not natural for us to experience fear, anxiety, anger, hate, rage, jealousy, and suspicion. These are not natural states to us. If they were, you would be completely comfortable with them in the same manner that the truth will set you free. If they were true, you would feel free. But the fact of the matter is they are unnatural. They bind us. But because of the way the world has conducted itself for so long, it has become normal, meaning that it has seemed to be the norm, and it is what we expect, so much so that we even look to it, to forms of discomfort, as our form of entertainment. So just like that, when you are fearful all the time, it becomes normal, and you learn to conduct the affairs of your life in spite of it, even as you are unaware of it, even as it makes a mess of your life. And the same with your anger and the hate and the rage and all of that. It just becomes the norm. And the only way out of this is to take refuge in the application of this principle, 
with its third point of view operating in the background of your life so that you can bring it to the foreground to begin to unravel the kinks and knots of your life that have delivered me to where I am now, delivered you to where you are now, delivered the world to where it is now. At the time of recording this episode, the coronavirus is on the run. You know, it's all over the place. I'm talking to you from the place in which I'm quarantined, not because I've been exposed, but because I'm doing what I've been asked to do. And I know that there is a lot of information about this on the internet. There's information on mainstream media, there's things you can read, and there's the opinions of others. Or I should say, the beliefs, opinions, and assumptions of others. Most likely, you know people who are having a hard time with this. They are very afraid for their families, jobs, and the economy. While there are others who are not. There are people that are afraid of this, and there are those that are welcoming this. They are all relating to it for different reasons. And again, there is this polarization. But my point to you is this. Who is asking the question about the third position, the third point of view that is required to really see the problem, the truth of the problem, and the solution to what is going on here? Now, I know it seems kind of ironic that at this point in time, I've chosen to talk about unmaking your beliefs, especially after I took great pains to point out that you and I do not author our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. So then, how do you unmake your beliefs? I mean, what do you do? And the answer is, you don't do anything. You let the principle that is already at work, that exists to restore what is natural to you, to unravel what is binding you. You let it do all the work. After all, this is why the states of fear, anger, hate, and rage arise when they do, and why they are uncomfortable. In those moments in which they arise, the principle in its operation is seeking their release from those places where they are locked within you by pushing them to the surface to be released. And, or rather then, when they come into view, when you become conscious of your experience of them and you notice that they are not comfortable, it is precisely at that moment and no other that the opportunity exists for them to be unmade. In fact, that is what's going on precisely at that time when you experience the discord of your life. And at that moment, again, you have three choices. You can deny, be in denial of the presence of the discord. You can accept the presence of the discord, embrace fear and anger to reinforce your belief about the object of your discomfort. Or you can ignore it by disassociating from it, by numbing out, being ignorant, meaning not pay attention to it. Or you can notice, acknowledge, and accept, and then do absolutely nothing. In fact, it is in not doing that you allow the principle, the natural organizing principle, to unravel the emotions that have become stored in your mental, emotional, and physical bodies for a very long time. To illustrate this process, let's return to our earlier talk about beliefs. Let's talk a little bit more about it because 
Initially, I said, a belief was born of the marriage of a thought with an emotion. And while that is mostly correct, it's not completely correct. What is correct is that a belief is the marriage of two thoughts with an emotion. This is because there are always three things operating. There are always three things going on. Well, the first thing going on is the thought or idea of yourself, your ego, which is a mental construct, right? It's not the reality of you, but it is a working hypothesis of you. The second is your thought or idea of the object of your belief. And your third is the emotion that connects the two like the string on a guitar stretched between two points. And when you pluck that string, it exhibits a specific vibratory quality that determines its tone, in this case, audible tone. And every time you practice that belief, you're plucking that string. And the more you pluck it, the more it vibrates, even when you don't notice it contributing to the normal emotional tone of your life. So your emotion describes the relationship that you have between the thought of yourself and the object of your thought, as in, I love my father, or I love my son, or I love my daughter, or I do not love something. There's always three things. There's always a knower, a known, a process of knowing. And the process of knowing in the case of a belief is the emotion that describes the relationship, the dynamic between yourself and the object. And every single time you practice that belief, you're plucking that string. And because it vibrates as energy and motion, the emotion continues in motion. Over the months, years, and decades, the vibration gets stronger and stronger, which in becoming your norm remains hidden from view, even as it continues to have its effect on your thinking, feeling, and sensing. And in being hidden from view, it's difficult to locate, let alone unmake. And the only way to unmake that belief is for the emotional relationship between the thought of yourself and the object of your thought to alter to change to a different tone, a different tuning, if you will. And this, in a very real sense, is what is offered to you every time you become aware of feeling discord in your life, because discord is not natural for you, even if it has become your norm. Become your norm to be afraid or anxious or angry or hateful or rageful, or whenever you notice you're having a negative experience. And it is precisely at that moment in which you become conscious of it, that you can notice it. That is the time, and it is the only time, when you have the opportunity to help that tuning change. All you need to do is do nothing, which means you notice how you are feeling. You acknowledge, I am feeling angry. You accept you have anger about this or that. You notice, acknowledge, and accept it. And you don't try to make it go away. You don't try to add to it. You don't try to take from it. You don't try to do anything to it. You don't do anything to interfere with its change of tune. Because this principle of life in being self-organizing, self-assessing, and self-correcting knows exactly how much emotion can safely be detuned at any point in time. So when I say do nothing, it isn't that you're supposed to ignore it. Quite the contrary, you must be aware of it. 
And in the face of that emotional tone, that emotional discomfort, you do nothing to save yourself from it. You allow it to be there. Fortunately, there is a limit to the amount of emotional energy that can change form at any point in time, which is why you experience mood shifts and things like that. But each time you experience this discord, this disease, that is your invitation to participate in the process of unraveling the emotion quotient of your life. Now, if you remember my first episode, my introduction, where I was completing my coaching certification in San Francisco, and I was triggered by my emotion quotient, and yet had an opportunity to speak in a way to save myself from it, or had the opportunity to just surrender to the reality of it while being fully cognizant and conscious of all that doing so might entail. And for some reason, somehow in my surrendering to its release, now I'm going to use this expression, please don't take it for you know, the truth. It seemed like it burned a hole in the emotion quotient of my misery, of my life, revealing an underlying truth that every relationship was composed of unconditional love, which I then experienced for the next 11 days. Now, in saying this, I don't want you to think of me as some space cadet or flower child because even though I was in unconditional love, being there didn't mean that everybody around me was mamby-pamby, sweet and nice. I still observed people arguing, people doing everything. But I realized it was all an expression of love. And then it struck me that when I say that emotion is energy emotion, and that fear and hate and anger and rage are energies emotion that may not be created nor destroyed, it never occurred to me to consider what it was before it became my fear, anger, hate, rage, etc. And we never talked about it either, what it was before it became your fear or anger or hate, right? And what I want to say to you now is that the energy and motion that existed prior to the discord of your life, that primal source of energy was unconditional love, which is natural to us, but certainly not the norm for us. Even so, I am born with it, you are born with it, all children of the world are born with it, that over time became distorted by the moments in which you confuse belief for truth, that in binding your will created the negative emotions that later became the emotional tone of your life. The good news is that even in the midst of the normalcy of misery, whenever the moment occurs that you go, wow, this really sucks, I do not like the way I feel. Right then, even if you don't think it, but you sense it, you notice it, right then, that is an opportunity, an invitation, a window to unravel whatever can be unraveled. For if you don't take those moments when they make themselves known, a point in time will come when you've got 18 people watching you unravel a chunk of your emotion quotient as their entertainment observing your public spectacle. So to conclude this episode on unmaking your beliefs, the idea is that there is this organizing principle in life, the ignorance of which has created the problems in the world by allowing humankind to practice a level of thinking that has no hope of arriving at solutions. That style of polarized thinking and having only two sides creates 
a seesawing effect where you can only go up and down, down and up, left and right, right and left. But you can't really change anything. You can't see, let alone arrive at the solution to any problem when you only have two points of view. You need the third point to change your perspective, to see the situation clearly. It's like the GPS system in your car. Your global positioning system triangulates on a third point to navigate to a new place, to navigate to another outcome. Without the third point, you may only navigate to the two you already have, which means you can't get anywhere. You need a third point to navigate to solve the problems that challenge me, you, and the rest. I suspect this is why Albert Einstein stated that the definition of insanity was to do the same behavior over and over again while expecting a different outcome. When the truth is that for real progress to take place, for real change, you need a third position to navigate your way there. In closing, this episode on Unmaking Beliefs is offered to provide an arc of understanding about what has been occurring in human life. As far as you and I are concerned, this principle is always operating within and it is always trying to do, guess what? Trying to free your will to return you to your natural state, which is the state of unconditional love, which is waiting for you at the end. But we have spent a lot of time charging our emotion quotient, intensifying it, potentizing it. We have spent years practicing emotions that in doing so have left a residue in our mental, emotional, and physical bodies that would be very difficult to release all at one time. But it is possible, guided by the operation of this principle, to unravel those emotions safely during the moments of your life. And this is how you unmake your beliefs. You don't do anything except allow the organizing principle to do its thing. You notice when you are in discord, you acknowledge without judgment that you are in discord. You accept its unpleasantness as the discord changes of its own accord, as it returns to its most natural state, which is unconditional love. The episodes that follow will endeavor to describe practical steps which are being offered for your consideration to align the life of individuals, societies, and businesses with life's organizing principle, thereby providing humanity with three paths to help free the human will. That is all I have for today. Thank you for listening.